All right, prayer. All earthly things with earth will fade away. The prayer grasps eternity. But I'm convinced of this, God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you. And somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Tonight we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, the second half of it, as we talk about this idea of prayer. So I want us to think real quickly about what prayer is. So when you think of the word prayer, what comes to mind or how would you define what prayer is? Let's say, as often happens with me, that a little five-year-old comes up to you and says, hey, what is prayer? Like last night, Daily Grace walks into the living room after asking Candace a question that Candace then says, hey, why don't you go ask your daddy? She says, daddy, who is Satan? Okay, it's like uh, 9.30, she's supposed to be asleep. So we talk about who Satan is, what Satan is. And then she says, aren't we supposed to love bad people? Yeah, we're supposed to love bad people. And then she goes into, are we supposed to love Satan? And it's it's this very uh, difficult question to really answer with a five-year-old or um, a 35-year-old. What is prayer? If somebody asked you to define prayer, one-on-one time with God. It's a good answer. Anybody else? No wrong answers. When When you think about prayer... Do you have anything else you'd like to add to that? Or maybe not even a definition, just what comes to mind. Yeah. Okay, expressing your, your gratitude, your gratefulness toward God for what he's done in your life. Absolutely, that's a huge part of prayer. We're going to talk about that in Roman numeral one, number one tonight. Good job, Lance. Yeah, spoiler alert, that's what's coming. I didn't give you number three, though. Just the real plot twist. Um, what's that? I, I, what's, oh, key truth. <laughs> I got you, yes. We have two of them tonight. Two key truths. Anybody else? Prayer? Okay. Talking to God? Yeah. Continual worship? A man getting deep? All right. What's that? A time to be vulnerable? Yeah. So we've got talking with God which is absolutely what prayer is. Vulnerability, which is true also, right? Continual time or worship with God, yes. Asking God for support, yeah, absolutely. We're gonna talk about that too, yes. Confessing your sins, also another big part of prayer. Yeah, those are all parts of prayer. We got bits and pieces of definitions of prayer. That's all 100% true. And so I want us to just be As we talk about what Paul says here, Paul is writing out a prayer, essentially, to the church at Ephesus. We saw in chapter 1, the second half of chapter 1, Paul 
um, gives thanks for the Ephesian church, but then also intercedes on their behalf. He prays for them. What he's showing us here, really, he's praying to God, but he's also giving us kind of a model. Jesus gives us um, a model prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer. This is how we should pray. And Paul kind of, whether intentionally or unintentionally, gives us another blueprint on how to pray. It's really given the church at Ephesus um, a blueprint to pray. So let's read together, and then we will look at, uh, sorry, tonight I have two key questions, not key truths, but um, you'll be okay. All right, so Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 is where we're going to be. And Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So the first key question we've already asked, what is prayer? Okay, you've answered that. The second key question is what should it look like in the life of the believer? What should prayer look like? We, we, we've heard that prayer is talking with God or, or having communion with God or worship or it's confession or it's asking for God's power in our lives. We've heard all of those things, which are all true. But what should prayer look like for the believer? Because I think a lot of us have different versions of what prayer might be either in our head or in practice. You think about just the different types of prayer, right? Think about what you do before you eat your food, whether it's regularly or maybe it's just at like the family Thanksgiving um, event, right? People only invite me over to their house for meals so that I will pray. That's like the only, I'm like a professional prayer. That's what I am, really. So people invite me over for like Thanksgiving um, meals or um, you know, Super Bowl events or whatever. So, hey, Josh, can you bless the food? No, I can't, but I can ask the Lord to bless the food. No, that's, uh, that's kind of the, uh, the Jesus juke that people like to use. But what does prayer look like? Is it that kind of just that once every now and then thing that's very formal? Or maybe you're sitting in church and you hear the deacons who pray right before the offering, right? Bless these tithes and offerings, right? God, take what you were, you're about to receive, um, you know, bless the gift and the giver. We have all these, these little lines that everybody has kind of picked up over time, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, maybe that snippet is what we hear. Uh, or maybe uh, we hear the, the goofy guy that gets up there and has to pray every Sunday morning after they read a verse uh, or whatever. But what does prayer look like in your life or what should it look like? Does prayer in your life look like just little momentary, little quick moments with God? Sometimes it looks like that in my life where someone or something will come into my mind and there will be a moment where I, I have a quick prayer for uh, maybe it's for Candace at work or maybe it's for Smith or Daily Grace at school or, or maybe it's for you guys or for something that's coming up. Right? Maybe it's, it's for, um, you know, I go see a lot of people in the hospital. Maybe it's praying over someone who is hurting, someone who's sick, someone who's dying. That we pray for healing or 
Maybe it's for someone that's struggling with something. We're praying for restoration. Uh, or maybe it's us praying for wisdom. What does prayer look like and what, it's supposed, what is it supposed to look like? I think Paul gives us kind of uh, an example here. And we're going to look at that in three parts. Three parts uh, of how Paul kind of tells us or shows us that we should pray. The first is that we should pray with humility. We should pray with humility. Look in verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, and he's going back, when he says for this reason, he's going back to what he said for the first 13 verses or so of chapter 3, where he talks, remember last week we talked about how Paul had been given uh, or revealed, the, the mystery of the gospel has been revealed, and so now he's encouraging the church at Ephesus to go and to be missionaries. We looked last week at what it looks like to be a biblical missionary. And so Paul says, for this reason, because of all of this, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul, I think really three ways here, he, he talks about humility. He wants us to pray with humility. He wants us to have a humble gratitude. Somebody said that it's giving thanks to God for what he's done in our lives. We should be humbly grateful for what God has done and who God is. We should pray with humble gratitude. Uh, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. What he's talking about there is he's, he's kind of going back to three and into chapter two, and he's talking about all the things that God has done. Remember, this is coming shortly after. We talked about this a lot before, that uh, Paul is writing a letter here. He's not writing in chapters and verses. And so have you ever, anybody ever received a letter before? Right? The, the letter is like one giant thought, right? It may have different components, but the letter is generally has one, one main point. As you're writing a paper for English or history or whatever, you're supposed to have like a thesis statement, right? It's the, the main point of what you're talking about throughout the whole paper. And then you have certain components of it. You have an introduction, you have a conclusion, you have the body, right? But even within the body, you have different subject matter. But it all points back to the beginning. And Paul is kind of going back to this idea that's really found in Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, where we were dead, but God, being rich in mercy, gave us life through Jesus Christ. And Paul says, for this reason, I come to God humbly in prayer. Humble gratitude. Are you thankful in prayer for what God has done in your life? This is one of the first aspects of prayer. We have to enter into prayer with humility. Right? If we just go to God saying, hey, God, uh, I think I really deserve this. Or God, uh, you know, why are you allowing this to happen to me because I've done so well and at least I'm not as terrible as this other person. Right? That's not humility. That's us asking God to give us what we want or what we think we deserve. What Paul says is that we come before God with humility with humble gratitude, thanksgiving. When is the last time you stopped and thanked God for one of two things, what he has done or simply who he is? You know, sometimes we do this in, in life where we are thankful for other people. Can you think of somebody, you don't say it out loud, but can you think of someone in your life that you're very thankful for? I hope that you can. 
And usually you are thankful for them for one of two reasons. One, it's because they do something for you or have done something for you. You're thankful for your parents for providing for you, sacrificing for you. Perhaps you're thankful for a friend who's been there through very difficult times, right? Sometimes we're thankful not just for what people have done, but sometimes we're thankful just for who people are. Hopefully you have people in your life who, whether you're watching them up close or you're watching them from a distance, you're just thankful for who they are for their integrity, right, for their commitment to something, for what they stand for, for their boldness. What Paul says here is that we should come to God with humble gratitude, a thankful heart for what he's done, but even more importantly, for just who he is. He's God, and we're not, right? And so that ought to cause us to enter into his presence with humility, right? But also with humble desperation. So the first thing, we're praying with humility, but under that we have humble gratitude and humble desperation. Do you understand, I think sometimes we, it's salvation is a free gift through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. But sometimes I think, we love the idea of Christianity being so easy that we forget how desperate we are for God. Sometimes I go back and I read some Psalms of David. David is the most desperate person in all of Scripture at times. Maybe Job. Job's pretty desperate too. He's lost everything. But if you begin to read some of the Psalms that David writes after he has committed egregious sin with Bathsheba and then had her husband murdered to cover up his affair, and his um, child that he's had with her. You hear the, the desperation, read the desperation that David writes with. And it's a humble desperation. It's a desperation of knowing that only one thing could possibly save him, and it's the grace and forgiveness of God the Father. Paul writes with that kind of desperation in Ephesians 2, where he reminds us, who we were, dead, hopeless, helpless. But God, being rich in mercy, offered up his son. There's going to be a time in your life, if you haven't experienced it already, where you are desperate. Maybe you have forgotten to do an assignment, and it is the day of, and there's just no way that you can complete the assignment. doesn't matter how much work you try to do in first period or whatever, you're not going to be able to get it done. And you are going to beg a teacher or a professor for some grace. Is there any way I can turn it in tomorrow? Right? There's going to be a time where you get pulled over on the side of the road and you are speeding, and there's going to be an officer there to write a ticket, and you're not going to want mommy and daddy to know, and you are going to be desperate to get out of the ticket. Please, officer, this is my, I've never had a ticket before. I, you know, I'm sorry, I'll go to traffic school. I, I, you know, I'll get this taillight fixed or whatever. Or what, whatever it is, you'll be desperate. There are going to be more moments where you are even more desperate. There are going to be moments, guys, where your relationships are crumbling. They are falling apart. Perhaps it's because you have done something to destroy that relationship, or perhaps it's because the other person has let you down in that relationship, and you are going to be desperate to salvage that relationship. Guys, look at me. There are going to be moments where you are desperate 
for love, attention, affection, or someone to give you value, purpose, and self-worth. We, we, by our human nature, have these moments of desperation. But do we express to God just how desperate we are in the need of him? Because we, we realize, right, that apart from God offering up his son on our behalf, we have zero hope, no lifeline, no way to work our way out of it, no way to talk our way out of it, no way to beg our way out of it, no way to pay for it, but God. Humble desperation. But also with something that seems contradictory, humble confidence. Humble confidence. This is how I try to think about prayer. And, and this is, we're going to talk about this more in a second. I try to think about prayer in this way, that we should enter prayer with the humility to know that God is in control, but with the confidence to know that he can do far more than I could ever imagine. See, we have to enter into prayer with humility to know that God's will is better than our will, but also know that he can do even more than we are asking of him. Right? And in that mindset, it's a humble confidence. We know that God's ways are better than our ways. And so that's humility. But we also know that God's ways are better than our ways. And so it's confidence. Not confidence in me, confidence in him. It's the same confidence that Daniel has in Daniel chapter 1. Do you all remember that story in Daniel chapter 1? There's this dude named Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's taken over um, Jerusalem and the, um, the kingdom of Judah, right? And the, Israel, the Israelites, he's taken some of them. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there. They're trying to give them new names, new identities, make them eat the king's food. And Daniel says, hey, look, we're just going to eat vegetable and drink water. And then we will prove to you that we will be in better shape, better condition physically and mentally than anyone who eats the king's food. Daniel wasn't confident in himself. Daniel was confident that God would show Nebuchadnezzar his power and his majesty. That's the kind of humble confidence that we enter into prayer in. All right, so the first thing, that we pray with humility. But we also pray in power. Okay, and this kind of builds on this idea of confidence. We pray in power. Look at 16, the second half of it. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is really two parts here as we pray in power. The first is that we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and for the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago as we talked about um, kind of the middle section of Ephesians chapter one. And the Holy Spirit's a weird thing and it's difficult for us to understand. But the Holy Spirit, as we looked at a few weeks ago, is, is the, the being, right, the, the aspect of God which gives us the ability, the opportunity, and the power to do things, right? We don't have the power to save people. We don't have the power to convict people. We don't have the power to make the gospel resonate in people's hearts, right? We have the ability to be faithful and to get out of our comfort zone and to share with people 
and, and to be witnesses on behalf of Christ, but the Holy Spirit is what has power, right? Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses when what? When the Holy Spirit is upon you, right? You will receive power from the Holy Spirit, it says, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, I've taught you a lot of stuff. Now take the knowledge that you have and go and win people for me. That's not what he does. Because you can't do that. What he says is when the Holy Spirit is upon you, then you will receive power. And then right after that, we see in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, Peter gets up there because the Holy Spirit has enabled him to do so and is moving in the midst, right? That's why we sing these songs. You are here, moving in our midst, right? That's, that's what he's saying. What the, the, the writer of the song is saying is that the Holy Spirit is present working in our midst, in, in this place, healing every heart, right? Touching every heart. All these things that we sing, right? It's the, about the Holy Spirit having power. And so when we pray, we pray both in the power of the Holy Spirit, but also we pray for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what gives us what we call discernment, which is kind of simply put, the ability to, to make wise decisions, to be able to understand what is right and what is good, what we should be doing. So we, we ought to be praying for the wisdom, the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we make decisions. Big decisions, right? Hey, I got to figure out where I'm going to school. It's like spring semester, and I don't know what I'm going to do next year. Got to figure that out. Hey, I'm looking for a job, a new career path, whatever. Have I prayed that the Holy Spirit would guide me? Right? I don't know. This dude slid into my DMs. He seems cute. I don't know. Got a lot of followers. His TikTok is cool, whatever. But have I, have I asked uh, any kind of spiritual guidance, any leadership from the Holy Spirit? Is this person someone that I should invest time in? Right? I've got this situation going on with this friend, and uh, the, the situation's kind of messy. There's a lot going on there. You know, you're asking all your little eighth grade friends what, what you should do, but your eighth grade friend is going to probably give you like an eighth grade piece of advice, right? Which, no offense, eighth graders, the Holy Spirit's going to give you some better direction, is all I'm saying, okay? All right? And I know there's some eighth graders that are probably more wise than um, like some seniors in here. I get it, okay? All right? but the Holy Spirit's going to be better than that. So are we praying? I wasn't calling anyone out in particular. All right. Tucker's a junior, by the way, in case you were thinking I was talking to him, about him. All right. The power of the Holy Spirit. You and I need the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't function without it. But the second part of this is that we need to also have the love of Christ. Most of this passage is about the love of Christ, so that Christ, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Guys, I'm going to be really honest with you. There are going to be moments in your life where you will not have the ability in and of yourself to love people the way Christ loves people. You know why? Because some people, I was going to put it a little more bluntly, some people are difficult to love. Some people are going to get on your nerves. Some people are going to hurt you. Some people are going to turn their backs on you. They're going to say things and do things that are going to destroy your self-worth and your value. 
you likewise are going to say things and do things that are going to hurt other people. I do this, you do this. Sometimes we do it on purpose. Sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. But we're also going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to love people the way Jesus loves people. And by understanding the breadth, the length, the height of how great Jesus' love is, it will be a reminder to us that we ought to also love people in that same manner. You realize that, and I know you know this, but you realize that Jesus went to great lengths to show his love for you, right? Like he died for you, kind of great lengths. Was beaten, humiliated, spat on, right? For you, for me. Ultimately for God's glory, but also because he loves and values you. And so we need to pray that, that God would remind us of the love of Jesus Christ. This cool thing about prayer and about reading Scripture is it's in, in a very similar way that it happens in, in human interaction. The more we understand the nature and the character of who God is, right, the closer the relationship grows. Ladies, you want to know about the, the guy that you're dating, right? And you want him to want to know you, right? I think I've used this analogy before, but like if you're dating some guy, right, and y'all are talking or texting or snapping or whatever it is that you're doing in 2020, right, and um, like he never asks anything about you. Like he doesn't ever make an attempt to get to know you. And like when you ask him questions, he gives you like one-word answers, Right? This relationship is quickly going nowhere because he shows no desire to get to know you, nor does he have the desire to, to allow you to get to know him, right? And so there's only going to be this superficial surface level relationship that happens. And we all desire that intimacy with one another, right? We want the other person to want us. We want the other person to want to know us. We want to know about them, But do we desire that same interaction with God? Because that's a huge part of what prayer is. You listening to God. You're also talking to God, but you're also listening to God. Just like you want to listen in a relationship with another human being, we need to listen to God. And the more we do that, the more we're going to see just how vast his love is for us, and for humanity. And I promise the more time you spend with God, the more you're going to love people. People are still going to get on your nerves. There's still going to be certain people that you struggle to love, but you're going to see them as fellow image bearers, fellow members of humanity who were created in the image of God, but also that Jesus died for. We need to pray that, that God would reveal just how vast his love for us and for the world is. So we pray with humility. We also pray in power, but we also pray with expectations. We pray with expectations. Verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
three little parts of this, right? The first thing in verse 20, he is able. God is able to do all things. He created all things. He exists outside of space and time. He's not limited by things that are physical, nor is he limited by things that are temporal. He can be anywhere and everywhere whenever. He can do anything that you ask. He can also do anything that he wants. He can also do anything far abundantly more than anything you could ever imagine. We pray with expectations, not expectations that God will give us what we want, but we pray with expectations that God will move. God is always moving. This song was perfect, right? Even when I don't see it, you're working, right? Even when I don't feel it, you're working, right? You never stop. You never stop working, right? God is constantly moving and working even when we can't see it or when we can't understand it. See, we pray with expectations because we know that God is able, but we also know that he has the ability to work in us. Second second half of verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. Think about all these biblical examples of people that God has moved in. If you're on leadership retreat, we just talked about Moses this weekend. Moses was unqualified for God to use. Right? Moses had a terrible past. He had a speech impediment. He was not the ideal solution, yet God worked in him. He was reluctant at first, but then he obeyed. He messed up along the way, yet God continued to use him. Think about Abraham. Abraham was super faithful, right? He even offered up to sacrifice his son back to God after he had waited 100 years for him. Abraham was also impatient, had a kid with somebody else because he didn't believe that God was actually going to grant him the, uh, the gift of a son. But God's constantly working. God worked in Abraham, even though he wasn't perfect, God used Abraham's faithfulness, and he became the father, right, of a nation. God worked in the life of Joshua. God worked in the life of David. God worked in the life of Daniel. God worked in the life of Rahab. God worked in the life of Esther. God worked in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God worked in the life of Paul, and Paul sees this. God, I ran from you, and I even persecuted the people who you who called by your name, the people who followed you. And then you transform my life. So we should pray with the expectation that God is able, but he's also able to work in us. God has the ability to use you. No matter what you think of yourself, God can still use you and desires to use you. Whether it's on a stage or platform, leading worship, or whether it's in the back, or whether it's in your school, or on your tennis team, or your golf team, or the robotics team, or the swim team, or at your house with your parents, or your siblings, or whether it's at your job. You know, there's going to be somebody that's in this room tonight that is going to share the gospel with more people than I can ever imagine sharing the gospel with. I believe that with my whole heart, that there will be somebody who's a much better communicator of the gospel that's going to reach more people than I have ever imagined. There's going to be some of you that have gospel conversations one-on-one at your job. 
There'll be people in here that lead your children to Jesus. God is able, and he's able to use you. Ultimately, though, as with all of this book, what we need to see, we have three more minutes and we'll be done. In verse 21, is that he's able to work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations. He's able to work in us, but ultimately all of these things are to his glory. So we, we enter into prayer humbly, but with the expectation that God is going to do something. And it has to be our desire that God does what he wants to do. One of the most difficult things I've ever had to do is stand in a room with someone who is dying. With their family in there. And it happens more than you would think. Their family in the room, they are very near death. And 99% of the time, the family just wants their loved one to, to be healed, to be better. No matter how young or how old, everyone almost wants God to perform something miraculous and heal their earthly bodies. And one of the most difficult times of prayer is praying for someone to be healed but also praying that God would be glorified in whatever happens. Because God's going to do what God's going to do. And we know that God has the power to do miracles and still does perform miracles. But we also know that there are moments where God does things that we don't understand. I prayed with a, uh, a mom um, it's probably been seven or eight years ago. It was before I moved here, so eight or nine years ago. We had a, at my last church, in a span of about two months, three teenagers took their lives. None of them were active members in our church, but they had all been some, all went to the same high school. And so in about two months, three different kids took their lives three different ways. And, and one of those girls who killed herself, she was 16, and um, she killed herself outside of her house where the school bus would pull up and see her outside as they were on their morning bus route. And I had to talk to that mother that day and, and try to bring some sense of comfort that, that perhaps there was some greater good that was going to come from her daughter's tragic death. I didn't have the right words to say. I'm sure I completely messed it up. But there are going to be these moments in our lives that we don't understand. There are going to be times of prayer where we are begging God for something. And it's okay to call out to God in desperation. It's okay to plead with God. God, please heal this person. God, please save me or bring me out of this dark season of life or whatever it is. But my challenge for all of us, and myself included because I struggle with this as well, is that we would, we would pray in the humility to know that, that God's plan, God's purpose is far greater than we can understand. 
and even when we can't see or understand what's happening. Part of being a Christ follower is trusting that God does see and understand. And there are going to be moments where we have to trust that he's got it figured out even when we don't. But what I'm telling you and what, what, I'm, what I'm pleading with you now is don't wait till those moments to begin to talk to God. Right? Just like you don't need to wait to talk to your parents until you have some emergency. Right? Or you don't need to wait to talk to your friends until you need something from them. Enter into that constant communication with God today. If you haven't already, if you're not doing that, be diligent. Set aside a block of time to talk to him. But also sporadically throughout the day. Look, I know because I'm guilty of it. Throughout the day, you pick up your phone and you're Snapchatting or you're texting or whatever, somebody, all the time. Right? Every now and then, like instead of sending that Snapchat or opening the Snapchat or looking through Instagram or whatever, take just a second and, and, and give just a portion of that time. Begin there talking with God, having communion with God. Right, let's pray together. Father, yeah, I've done a pretty poor job, um, God, of communicating, God, these truths of prayer. God, it, to be honest, God, prayer is something that I struggle with. God, we get so busy, so much going on. God, I can't see you. I can't touch you. I can't feel you. Sometimes it's just easier to talk with people I can see. Sometimes it's easier to send a message to somebody and see those three little dots or whatever coming up. And I know that they are typing back, talking back. God, to be honest, sometimes there are times where I'm talking to you, God, and I, I'm not sure if I'm hearing from you or if I'm making something up in my head. And sometimes there's just nothing. And so it makes it difficult. God, but I pray that each and every person in this room God, would do everything within our power. God, to have conversations with you. Conversations about how thankful we are. God, confessing our sin to you. God, praying for one another. God, praying for guidance and direction from the Holy Spirit. Praying for patience with people. Understanding and love and compassion. God, I pray that we would understand who you are, that you are God and that we are not. God, but we would also understand that you have the power to do things that we don't. And we would rely and trust on you for those things. God, we love you and ask all these things in your name. Amen. I love you guys. Hope you all have a great rest of the week. Yeah.